Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. If you were to ask uh, America or ask, ask people the, the greatest college basketball coach of all time, uh, it's not really up for debate. They would tell you a man named John Wooden. And uh, John Wooden uh, was, was incredible. He coached at UCLA for 29 years. Uh, he, he won so many national championships, more than twice as many as anyone had ever won. At one point, he won seven in a row. He set the record for 88 games in a row. He was an incredible recruiter. They called him the Wizard of Westwood. If you get called a wizard, you're really good at your job, all right? Uh, he, he, he later published leadership books talking about his pyramid of success, and, and he's by far and, and above, like I said, the greatest ever to his job. But he would always start each year in a, in a weird way. He would call his players in the locker room, and he would say, hey, everybody uh, take your shoes and socks off. Now, I know how people are about feet. I'm not going to take my sock off, all right? But he would, he would call people in, and he would, he would say, I want to I teach you something. I want to teach you the, the details, the, the foundation of everything that we're going to do this year as a team. And he would have people take their socks off. And he would say, now I want you to pull that sock on over your foot. And I want you to make sure that your heel is resting in the heel of that sock. I want you to start at the toes, and I want you to, to kind of sweep up your foot. I want you to make sure that there are no bumps there along your, your foot. I want you to make sure that that sock is, is comfortable. I want you to make sure when you put that, that shoe on that you lace it up in a way that it's not too loose, but that it's going to support your foot and in a way that it's going to be able to, to help you do the things that we want to do this year. And the reason that, that he would do that is because he said that, that sometimes when you're in the midst of war, when you're under attack, you forget the details. Sometimes you, you rush off to practice. Sometimes you don't realize that your sock's on a little crooked, and then you, you might get a blister. And then when you get a blister, you start running a little weird. And when you start running a little weird, your, your knee can give you problems, or your, your hip can go out. And so he said, we want to take care of what we're being called to take care of. And to do that, we have to focus on the details. To do that, we have to focus on the small things. The reason I, I tell that story is because uh, this morning, as we continue in this series uh, in the book of First John, uh, we're going to be talking about something that, that, to be honest, I think a lot of us could, could think like, yeah, that's a small thing, and I, I get that. I know that. I've already been doing that. I'm pretty good at this following Jesus thing. I've got it, I've got it down. But the book of First John, the books of First John, 2 John, 3 John, the series that we're, we're calling the trilogy, these books were, were written to a, a people that were under attack, people who, uh, quite honestly, had, had maybe forgotten the, the basics, and as life was getting crazy and things were getting crazy, they would, they would forget the small things that they were called to do. They would forget the small things that made up their foundation as believers and followers of Jesus and as the church, and as those things would be stripped away, as they would forget those things, they would, they would realize that problems are, and things were arising in their, in their church and in their life, and and they hadn't been focusing on the basics. And so this series 
is to focus on a book where, where John took this audience back to the basics. This series is to focus on the fact that we're never above the basics. We're never beyond the basics. We want to focus on the basics. And so today we want to look at a passage in 1 John chapter 2. And so I want to invite you to, to turn there as we talk about something that's, that's important, something that's foundational, and something that's a, a basic. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, and it's on page 743. So if you've got a, a Bible there under your seat, you can, you can pick that up and grab it. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, that is our gift to you. Feel free to, to take that home if you like the way it reads. We'd love for you to have that at home to read and to study. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Here we go, back to the basics. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness." You can probably see why I mentioned going back to the basics now, because sometimes, depending on our attitude, sometimes depending on where we've been recently or, or maybe our ego, we would read something like that and think like, yeah, duh, I got that. And yet John took the time to write this to his audience because he wanted to remind them of their foundation. He wanted to remind them of the basics. He wanted to remind them of the gospel that left to themselves, they were far from God. They were separated from God. They were lost in sin and walking toward death. And Jesus came and gave his life. He stepped into the gap and was the advocate for their lives. He was the atonement who sacrificed his life and paid the price. And because of what he did on the cross, our sins can be forgiven. Because of what he did on the cross, we can know him and we can walk in light. And so this foundation that he's been reminding them a couple of weeks ago, we said that we could walk in light and we can do that best when we practice the truth, when we know the truth about sin and when we confess sin. Last week, we added to that foundation and we said one of the best ways that we can walk toward Jesus and be the church is to follow the commandments that are in Scripture. We said that our obedience to God's commands will tell the story of our love for him. And we even said that there are some ways that we can often ignore Scripture or ignore what God is calling us to obey. And so sometimes we have to let Scripture be a mirror and sometimes we have to let it be a sword and and do surgery and cut out infection. And we can't subtract from the Bible or ignore the Bible. We're called to stand on a foundation of the gospel. We're called to walk in light and we're called to obey commands. And so now John is adding the passage that we just read and it's not glamorous. It's really simple. And yet this is what he wanted this group to know. He was saying this, if you hate a fellow believer, you're living in darkness. He said that very clearly in in verse 9. If you hate a fellow believer, you're living in darkness. That's pretty pretty simple. Sounds sounds kind of biblical. Sounds good. I think we, we hear that. He goes on in verse 10 to say, if you love a fellow believer, you are living in the light. All right, so hate, bad, love, good. That that sounds, we, we got that, right? That's that's simple. It's, it's, it's basic. Yet he, he says it this way. He says, loving a fellow believer is good and it, it doesn't cause anyone to stumble. And so I've, I've got to think that he's, he's saying if loving a fellow believer doesn't cause anyone to stumble, it seems to imply that hating a fellow believer can cause people to stumble. And so he's not just saying, hey, be nice, love people, 
Don't be mean, don't hate people. He's saying, when you love people, you're lifting them up and you're changing this equation. You're changing everyone's function. You're changing everyone's life because when you're loving people, you're not pulling them into a cycle of negativity or toxicity or, or anger. You're not pulling them into a cycle of being down and being jealous and fighting. When you're loving people, you're pointing people toward love and that makes everyone better. You could say it this way, when we're loving people, it helps us all avoid stumbling. I mean, I don't want to get us thinking too much about judging other people, but I bet you've known someone that's made you stumble in your day. I bet you've had a, a friend or a family member, maybe a sibling that used to just slap you in the back of the head, and then you'd, you'd get mad, and you're like, they started it, right? That's, that's the, the earliest rendition of people making us stumble. When we're not loving people, we're causing each other to stumble, Verse 11 kind of teaches us if you hate a fellow believer, you're living or walking in darkness and, and blinded. And that's where things start to get pretty real in this passage. Because we start talking about blindness and it feels like someone's attacking us or pointing out faults. And yet we know this foundation. We know the basics. We know the things that we're standing on and things that we're called to that God is love and God calls us to walk in light and love others so that they don't stumble, so that we don't stumble. And when we're loving other people, when we're walking in the light, we're doing what we're called to do. And it shouldn't shock us that the opposite of walking in the light is a bad thing. In fact, it's, it's basically saying that these seeds of hate that can evidence themselves in our lives, they, they take root quickly and they grow quickly. They develop quickly. And so if you hate someone, you're blinded by darkness. That may be temporary blindness. It may be something that you're worked through, but you've deceived yourself. You've walked away from the light and you're walking in darkness. And so a question we would have to ask ourselves, am I temporarily blinded by darkness or by hate? John's told us if you hate a fellow believer, you're living in darkness. If you love a fellow believer, you're living in the light. When you're loving people, when we are loving people, it helps us all avoid stumbling. And if you hate a fellow believer, you're living and walking in darkness and, and blinded. That's the foundation that he lays in, in chapter 2. And he keeps with this theme and adds to the foundation. And so just, just turn over to, to chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. He continues in this theme. He's adding to it. He's sprinkling more on top of that. He says this in chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. This theme of loving one another, loving people, not hating people continues. And before it was just saying love people, love one another. And now it seems to switch some of the wording and it says, brother, sister, if we love our brothers and sisters. And so it seems like we're kind of raising the stakes of what we're talking about, because sometimes we like to separate our pe ourselves from the, the people that, that we don't easily love, right? We're just like, oh, there's that person. Yeah, I think I know them. I think they go to my church. I kind of had a thing with them. We're not really in agreement anymore. And, and now he's saying, hey, that person that you can't love, it's not just a person. That's your brother. That person that you hate, that's your sister. That's your sibling. That's your family. That's someone that you can't separate from. That's someone that you're called to love no matter what. 
And so it gets a a little more real as we talk about this topic because you start to realize if you can't love your family when you're not loving your family, things are strained. I know that there are many of us in this room that have, have struggles with family, and I know that life isn't perfect, but I think we would all agree the goal would be that families are loving each other. In verse 9 of chapter 2, we established if you love a fellow believer, you're living in the light. And so John sprinkles on top of that, if we love our brothers and sisters, it proves we have passed from death to life. If we're able to do that. Like we said last week, it's telling the story of the foundation we're standing on. It's telling the story of our love for Jesus and our submission to him. It's telling the story of what he's done in our lives and our hearts. Our love or our lack of love, our love or our inability to love, our family, our siblings, our brothers and our sisters tells the story of our hearts. And the end of verse 14 says this, but a person who has no love is still dead. Kind of seems that it's, it's saying that you're either dead or alive. You, you can't really have both and you can't really have neither. You're either dead or alive. The heart is not empty. It's filled with love and acting out love or it's owned by hate. And so we need to recognize where our mind is and where our mind is taking our heart. Verse 15 says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. I know, it just got even more awkward, right? Before we were like, hey, let's love our brothers and sisters. And now you just walked in here with a cup of coffee and some guy called you a murderer. That's pretty awkward, right? In chapter 2, we learned if you hate a fellow believer, you're living in darkness. And now the ante is kind of upped. And some of us are thinking like, yeah, I'm not the nicest person in the world. I'm, I'm not great in the morning, but I'm not a murderer. Sometimes I yell at my spouse. I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anyone. You know that, right? I don't know why this book would say that. But what's saying is that hate followed out to its natural consequences will result in murder. We like to think that we have no connection with murder, that we're nowhere near murder, and yet the seeds of hate that we plant in our hearts and our minds, those are the seeds that grow to be murder. So we like to think there's distance, and we like to think we won't let that seed develop, and we like to think that things won't get there, but it's the seed. And so hate is connected to murder. And what was the first sin in scripture? What was the first murder in the Bible? It happened between two siblings. And so things get real between siblings and between spiritual siblings. And we've seen that pattern in scripture. And verse 16 really brings this to clarity and says this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Here's how we can love the people around us. Here's how we can walk away from hating the people around us. Here's how we can love our brothers and sisters. And here's how we can make sure that we're not causing anyone to stumble and that we're walking in the light. We can look at the example of Jesus. Our standard of love comes from what Jesus did on the cross. That's comforting, right? Because if you had to be your own standard... 
Your standard would depend on if you were feeling good that day, or if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or if you got enough sleep, or if you were feeling kind, or if people at work weren't pushing your buttons. But our standard doesn't come from people. Our standard doesn't come from our heart. Our standard of love comes from what Jesus did on the cross. And we love people because of the example of Jesus. We don't love people because it's easy. We don't love people because it's natural, unless you're a better person than I am, right? We don't love people because it's convenient. We don't love people because it just seems like something that kind of happens, something we should do. We love people because of the example of Jesus. We're compelled by the love of Jesus. We're compelled by what he did on the cross to serve us, not because we deserve it, but because it's who he is. And that example is in our hearts and our lives. Verse 17 says this, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Wow. We just got over the murderer thing and John just keeps saying these things and and yet he's not saying anything that doesn't need said. He's talking about the condition of the human heart and he's saying Listen, we're not just talking about metaphorically laying down your life and saying like, I love you. I love you. I love my brothers and sisters. I love the church. I love everybody. He's saying when you understand that and when you understand what Jesus did, when your foundation is the gospel, when you're called to walk in light, when you're called to obey commands, you're going to understand that that pushes you to love people, not to talk about loving people, not to just pretend you love people. Not to make Facebook posts so that you're the person that everybody knows is lovey-dovey. But to love people. And loving people, truly loving people, will inconvenience you. Truly loving people will complicate your life. And truly giving yourself away and serving others is not easy. This verse is saying that the love of Jesus should create compassion in us. The love of Jesus, when we understand it, when we're standing on it, when we're having his attitude toward people and really loving people, not letting seeds of hate take root in our heart, but actually loving people, it should create compassion in us. And compassion is this, sympathy or concern for the suffering or misfortunes of others. But I'm going to give you a glimpse into my heart. I often look at the suffering and misfortunes of others and I think like, well... I guess they just didn't work as hard as I did. I guess they didn't understand the plan of life and they didn't, didn't make sure they put the right foundation down. They didn't do what I did or they didn't, didn't make the right connections or didn't do things. And we look at people and rather than loving them, rather than having compassion on them, rather than seeing their misfortune and the things that have happened to them in life, we just say like, oh, sorry about your luck, bud. But I'll give you a hug at church and hopefully things get better. John is calling us and saying that the love of Jesus should create compassion in us. It should change the way we view people and it should change the way we act toward them. Verse 18 says this, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. We love to say 
that we love people. We love to say that we love things. We love to say that we love candy. We love to say that we love our friends. We love to say that we love our family. And yet when it's time for them to move, guess who's busy that day? It's me. It's not you guys. Don't worry. All right. And when, when they're sick and they're like, can you just take my kids for the day? I literally can't survive today. We're like, ooh, I would, but I, I, my new show just dropped. I got to watch the whole season. Right? We've actually said that. Don't act like you haven't, right? We struggle to love people because we're just plain being selfish. And we, we think that we're above what's happening to them. We don't have compassion for what's going on in their lives. And so our actions are, are self-centered. This verse is saying our loving actions should point to the truth of Jesus. Not the feel-good things we say. Not the way that we smile at our friends. The actual actions that we show them that are loving should point people to the truth of Jesus. They should be able to look at the way you love them and be like, wow, I don't deserve that. And they're reflecting the love of Jesus. They should be able to look at your life and just see Jesus. When they're moving, they should see an army of brothers and sisters and family and siblings and church people show up and just pick up everything and carry everything. So they're just pointing and saying where boxes go. And at the end of the day, they'll say, thank you, Jesus, for showing me your love through my family, through your family, through your church. People should see compassion in our actions And those actions should point to Jesus, not to us, not to the fact that we're the person who showed up and knew their Starbucks order and made their day a little better. The things we do should be without explanation, that it can only point to Jesus because we're just selflessly loving people. Living out the gospel means having open ears, open eyes, and open hands for people that are hurting. And we're not going to do some awkward thing today where you raise your hand if you're hurting, But my guess is you get this many people in a room and there's a majority of people who are hurting about something. There's a majority of people who are going through something. There are people in this room who found out they have cancer this year, found out someone they love has cancer. There are people in this room who have someone very close to them or maybe they themselves are going through a divorce. There are people in this room that don't know if they're going to keep their job. There are people in this room who are struggling. And if we're going to love people, it's not just saying like, oh, I love everybody in this room. It's having open eyes, open ears, and open hands for the things that are going on and stepping into the void, stepping into someone's life and saying, I see a need. I'm going to meet that need. You don't owe me anything. And I want this to to glorify Jesus. John's got one more, if that's okay. He said this in chapter two. He said this in chapter three. This is what he says in chapter four. Chapter four, verses seven to 12. You can turn over there. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. 
We think that we know better than God. We think that our way is better than God's way. And we walk away from him and we separate ourselves from him and we find ourselves lost in sin. And God doesn't say, sorry about your luck over there. No, out of grace and mercy, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to give his life for us. And so when we're lost in sin and separated from him, that sets the standard of love. That sets the definition of love. It sets the example of love. And, and now God lives in us and we can be compelled by his love and pass that love on. So what are we called to do? How are we called to act? How are we called to to see this? And what should this look like in our lives? I think it could be boiled down to this. Love people like Jesus died for them. Love people like Jesus died for them. Because he did. Because he quite literally, out of compassion and not out of anything we deserve, gave his life for us sacrificially gave his life for us. Not because we could ever make it up, not because we could earn it, not because we deserve it in any way, but he gave his life for us. And if we're going to stand on a foundation of his love and act that out to the world, we have to have the same attitude that he has. We have to love people like Jesus died for them, like Jesus gave his life for them. My, my mom and dad were married in 1978. Sometimes I'm scared to say things like that because some of you will think I'm ancient and some of you will think I'm a 12-year-old, depending on your age. But that's when my parents were married. And I grew up in a, in a loving Christian home in a family where I knew my, my parents loved Jesus. They were, they were best friends. They lived life together. They took us to church. They, they taught us about ministry and they did their best to focus us on the love of God. They were affectionate, they went on dates, they went on trips, and I saw their love lived out. And there wasn't really a time in my life that I thought, like, I wonder if my mom loves my dad. I wonder if my dad loves my mom. I was blessed to grow up in a home where I saw my parents loving each other, and I saw them setting a foundation of love for our family. Maybe you've you've heard me mention this before, but uh, this summer, it'll be 20 years ago, that my dad had a a pretty serious accident taking down a a tree. He had uh, some cables on a tree and was putting tension on it so it would fall into a certain spot. And when it was being cut, the tree kicked back and uh, the the, the main part of the tree hit him in the the body and uh, hit him so hard that it shredded a harness that he was up in the the tree in and it uh, separated his diaphragm and knocked his heart sideways and fractured his pelvis, and he was just about as close to death as you could be. In fact, he died a couple of times at the hospital as they were giving him blood and reviving him, and he was not doing well. If it was the the phone era, I might have taken a picture in the months after that, but it just seemed too awkward to go into the hospital with a disposable camera in the early 2000s, and so you've just got to take my word for it. This was really, really bad. And he was a teacher, and he was off work for uh, about a year and a half. And I watched my mom every day go to the hospital. And I watched my mom spend time with him when he had a traumatic brain injury and, and literally didn't know who we were. I was engaged and I went back to college for my senior year. And one time I called him and he was getting better and progressing, but they were taking him through a memory book. And and I called him and he said, Mark, you're my second son. Like he had memorized it from a book. And he said, you're engaged to a girl named Kristen and, and I'm coming to your wedding soon. 
And this was the guy that, that taught me to ride a bike. This is the guy that taught me to throw a baseball. This is the guy that taught me to play guitar. This is the guy that taught me everything I know. And this is a guy who loved my mom and loved our family, but I watched her love him through this. I watched her drive to Cleveland every day when he didn't know who she was. I watched him get better and I watched her go to therapies with him, inpatient therapies and out of patient therapies. And I watched her be patient in his life and I watched my mom love my dad, quite frankly, when he couldn't love her back and he's not here, so I'll say it, maybe when he didn't deserve to be loved back because he was, he was processing a lot and going through a lot. And like I said, there was never a moment that I, I thought like, oh, my, my parents, I guess, they, I guess they love each other now. I'd known that from the day I was born. I knew that when I was five. I knew that when I was 10. I knew that when I was 15. And yet when I was, when I was 21, they weren't saying anything new. They weren't really acting out differently. They were just living love, consistently living ongoing love and serving each other and loving each other. And even though they'd been attacked and even though things got crappy, they were living love. And even when new words aren't being said, sometimes you come to understand them in a different way because of what you've been through or what you've seen. See, John, when he says this in chapter 2, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, he's, he's not inventing this new commandment when he says, love one another. Go home and Google that in the Bible, and you'll find it a lot. It's been around, right? When he says, walk as Jesus did, or live as Jesus did, he's reminding people of what they already know. We have to love each other. But here's the foundation of what he said. I kept it from you in that first passage. And so let, let's hear it here. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you've had from the beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. Back to the basics. Back to the things that matter. Over and over and over and over again. Love one another. And yet this audience had to be seeing this differently because they'd heard love your neighbor as yourself in the Old Testament. And Jesus had told his disciples, love each other because I've loved you. And yet this is a new commandment because what they saw in the life and the example of Jesus and what they saw on the cross. Nothing new was being said, but it was taking root in their hearts differently because they'd seen it lived over and over and over again. And then they saw what Jesus did and they said, that is our standard. That's our definition. That's what we've got to do. And if the words love one another lose some of their meaning, if they don't excite us, don't say, all right, I just got to be better and I've got I've to be a warmer, smilier person. Look to the example of Jesus like this audience did and remind yourselves what selfless sacrifice looks like. Because the world of light, the world of, of Jesus, and the, the world of love always go together. Light and love cannot be separated. But that's tough to do, Right? I mean, we're talking about love and hate, and some of us are like instantly picturing a person when we think of the word hate, and you're like, oh, that's, that's bad. I'm glad no one can read my thoughts. It's tough 
to love people. That passage that Jeremy read to us already out of Colossians really hits home. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. It's kind of an instruction manual there of how to love one another and all the reasons we get it wrong so often because we're not clothing ourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're clothing ourselves with competitiveness and judgments and and anger. And then we wonder like, man, I'm just trying to love people, but I can't do it. We have to change who we are. We have to let Jesus change who we are. We have to be full of mercy and kindness and humility, and we have to forgive other people. These passages don't say love one another as long as people treat you perfect. Love one another. Don't talk to humans. Humans are going to offend you and hurt you. And you're going to have to still be merciful and kind and humble and love them and forgive them. Not because you want to, because it's the example of Jesus. Not because this is a new commandment that you found out today. Oh, love one another. I think my pastor came up with that. That's really good. No, because you're looking at the example of Jesus and his example, his sacrifice, his selflessness is compelling you. So who have you failed to love? Let's, let's get real here. Who have you failed to love? Who have you failed to forgive? Who have you let a seed of hate take root in your heart toward? Who are the people that you're fighting right now to love? Love people Like Jesus died for them because he did. And even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't trust it, even when it feels like an uphill battle, even when you feel like it's a lost cause or you're a lost cause, look to his example and love people like Jesus died for them. Maybe you need to have a follow-up conversation with someone today. Maybe you need to apologize to someone. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness from someone. Maybe you just need to let them see mercy and kindness and humility from you so that you're not causing them to stumble. But we want to be a people. We want to be a church. We want to be a family. We want to be a group of brothers and sisters who are loving one another because we're echoing the love of Jesus. Let me pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for setting our foundation as the church that we can love you, we can walk in light, we can live as Jesus did. God, I pray that you will help us to be kind, to be humble, to be merciful, to be tenderhearted, not because it's natural, but because it's what you're calling us to. God, help us Help us if there are people that we need to talk to today or or this week to to make things right. Help us to, to make sure we're doing our best to walk in the light. 
God, we pray that you'll be with us now. Do business in our hearts as we worship. Help us to glorify you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.